Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. If you're listening this morning, it's Christmas morning in Ottawa and other parts of the world. It's a little later in the day and perhaps in other parts of the world, it's earlier. Um, and you may be getting ready to go to church or perhaps you're listening to the podcast after Christmas has ended. But no matter when, let me begin by wishing those who celebrate and observe Christmas Merry Christmas. As you also may know or remember from previous uh, shows, uh, Hanukkah began uh, last night on um, December 24th, Christmas Eve and Hanukkah Eve began together this year, a confluence of the Gregorian calendar and the Hebrew calendar. With me this morning is Leslie Giddings, a uh, educator, a mom of three children, and a practicing Christian. And we're going to chat this morning about uh, being people of faith and raising children at difficult times of the year, both Hanukkah and Christmas, which uh, pose challenges to those of us who want to practice our faith but live in a world which is often at odds with the values of our faith. So let me begin by welcoming Leslie to the show. Thank you, Rabbi Steve. It's always a pleasure when I get a chance to talk with you. Uh, Leslie and I know each other from some interfaith work in the Ottawa community. So when she says it's a treat to chat with me, <laughs> um, it really means that we do know each other on other occasions um, of chatting about um, the challenges that we all face when we want to live together, but are people of different faiths and different perspectives. So um, where shall we begin? Uh, so let's start this way. At this time of year, as a, a parent, what uh, questions are you struggling with as you um, create an ambience uh, for your children in which there's room for both their secular life and their religious life? I think about this question a lot, and I was um, confessing to a friend that I actually feel like I started considering the, the, this question uh, this season a little late. I feel like I was a little late to the game. In our, um, in our expression of Christianity, we have the season of Advent, which is the beginning of the Christian calendar, and we sort of have a, um, weeks of anticipating Christmas, which are set aside as a different time from, um, from on our Christian calendar. And normally, I try to start limiting the secular impact on my children at Advent. That's sort and of the Advent would be uh, approximately how many days? About four weeks, four okay, Sundays. A month before yeah before christmas and folks would um probably connect the word advent to the secular advent calendar right um and but in our tradition we use it as a time to light candles as symbols one candle each um each sunday in anticipation of christmas and we do that in worship and we also do it at home uh so it's one of those um bridges between worshiping together in a community and, a, and our home practice so I will confess that I think we, although we got the candles out this year, I don't think we made it to lighting the candles until well after the first Sunday of Advent. And I was reflecting on that. And I thought, what, what happened this year? And, and I suffered from the busyness of secular life. Um, 
well into Advent. And it took me a little while to, to recognize that and to say, wait, I am the one that has to lead us um, into, into be acting in a different way and living out of our faith. And, and Advent is such an important season to remind us all to do that. And look, here I am as an educator, even, right, I'm behind too. And it was a really important reflection and good for my kids to experience that. To see that. that. Exactly. You know, it's funny, um, we talk often, not just you and I, but others about Hanukkah and Christmas are coming at the same time. And your story of Advent um, resonates with me, though Hanukkah is fairly minor holiday in the Jewish pantheon of holidays. Um, before the fall holidays, which are the most serious holidays of the theological year, there's an entire month of reflection. And often each day of the Hebrew month of Elul, which comes before the New Year Rosh Hashanah, there's a particular prayer or particular meditation that is um, assigned to the day, which sounds very much like Advent. But I also know how often um, people, whether because of their professional lives or their personal lives, are so busy that it's not until just before the Holy Days that they begin to say, "Uh uh-oh. And at that point, it's sometimes the secular world that reminds you rather than the religious world. So what was your reminder this year that Advent was here and that it was time to shift gears a little bit? Well, it never hurts to hear it from the voice of a child. Aha. So, uh, and, and I do take uh, comfort in knowing that, you know, when my five-year-old said, why are the candles on the table if we're not lighting them? <laughs> that was a good sign. It meant that he he knew that that was what we needed to do with them. And he was questioning how many candles really should we be lighting now? And I had to confess that we should have been lighting one for last week. And now we should be on to the second one as well. Let's do that. And of course, once we had that relational moment, of course, then it sticks. Right. And I I think that that's really important um, dynamic to consider when we're talking about the secular world and our religious practice. You know, it's through relationships in our religious context that we're able um, to uh, live out our faith. So, yes, it's important that we're attending worship, yes, but but the real meaning is in those relationships, right? It's when... um, it's when we have to explain to a friend that we're not actually going to go to that birthday party because now in Advent we're taking time, um, and, and I like to say I'm saying more no's, you know, I'm saying more no's to all the secular busyness. And so we care deeply about you and we'd like to have a play date with you, but we're actually in a different time and we need to respect that for our family. And so we can't come to that birthday and party. And in that period of reflection and preparation, is it your intention that it uh, magnifies the story of the birth of Jesus? That when you get to this day of December 25th, that um, there's already been such a uh, powerful um, expression of faith that this is a, a an affirmation of that faith, not the beginning of it. Is that what it does in your family? That's a great question. I would like to think that that's true for me personally. Whether that's true for the kids or not, I'm not sure, because, of course, we're working with the secular, very powerful narrative of Santa. And 
um, in our family, the way we handle that is that as the adults, we are telling the Christian story. They're observing and absorbing the secular story, and we don't um, we don't discourage them or tell them not uh, to participate in the Santa story. But we are not enabling it. So um, I think for me personally, Christmas Day is a culmination of the practice of Advent and leading up to that. But I'm not sure that that's yet for the children, although I know that the most powerful witness is through relationship. So, for example, in, in our tradition, um, the Christmas Eve is the big worship celebration. Right. There is worship on Christmas Day, but in most communities, there would be far less people there. Um, but I go. I don't necessarily um, insist that the children go on Christmas Day because I think my, my witness, why are you going, Mom?, gives me more of an opportunity to, to uh, counter or to add to their experience of the day, which really ultimately is, is about their experience of Santa. You know, so... so. Um, all of us who have raised children and all of us who um, feel a sense of commitment to our tradition um, wrestle with where does our personal um, faith um, began and where does our parenting begin? Mm -hmm. And you've suggested that for you as well as for me, and I'm sure for many of our listeners, there is that tension between how we express um, without dampening the kid's life in the secular world, which we've made some choices about. So in your home, how do you do that? So you've talked about Santa a yes. bit. You might want to talk a bit more about that. But sure. also, <clears throat> the story of Santa may be more enticing than the birth of Jesus. So how do you um, balance what in the Christian world would certainly be more important mm -hmm. than, in, uh, than in the secular world, but all around us is the secular Santa Claus parade and Santa music um, I was saying just before we went on air that I went um, to a concert um, at Dominion Chalmers, which was all Christmas music. Music was beautiful and it was powerful, and there was nothing secular about the music. And I thought, well, gee, you know, I could become a, a believing Christian after this music. It was so gorgeous, whether it was Latin or French or Old English. Um, and yet that music is also often lost to um, Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells and other ditties, which seem to miss the point. Um, so talk a bit, if you can, sure. about that tension. So we, we do spend time in Advent going through this story. And the way that we do that, I mean, keep in mind, I have kids who are still in primary school. So the way we do that is is physically enacting the story. And we have a nativity set where the the pieces can be um, can be spread out. So, for example, we have a pregnant Mary right now who's journeying and has moved through the house on a journey with Joseph and the donkey. And the children take quite a bit of pleasure in deciding how far. Uh, in, in the journey they've made now towards the stable. Because, of course, they're not at the stable yet. Not right? for another bit right? of time. And where are the wise men? You know, and there was lots of conversation about this year that 
when we started Advent and we set up the, the wise men in, in a spot and they wouldn't be journeying yet, my, my daughter said, well, would they even be talking about Jesus yet? I mean, he hasn't even been born. And I thought that's where the meaning is, right? In her engaging with the actual narrative of the story. Um, and it took a little bit of quiet satisfaction in that, that it was, she was making meaning of it for herself, which is the, my work at home, I think, in terms of the, the Christian narrative um, around Christmas. It's that, that I want the children to have an encounter of it themselves, ideally at home, ideally at church. I know uh, our Christmas Eve service that we attend really um, is intended to build biblical literacy because we know a lot of visitors come grandparents bring their grandchildren who may or may not be exposed to the Christian story. And so what we do is focus on the story. That's what it's about at that and, Christmas And when Eve. you speak about Christian literacy, mm-hmm. um, so does that mean from the Gospels or from later texts? I would say um, it means knowing the Christian story. Uh, so for example, we can't make assumptions anymore that kids who would be coming to a Christmas Eve service with their grandparents would know the basic gospel narratives, even one of them. There's more than one, right? Right. But even one of them uh, about the story of Jesus and Jesus' incarnation. So we, in our community, really strive to make that a meaningful outreach opportunity so that kids leave feeling like they actually were able to encounter the story themselves. So it's been done different ways in in different um, parishes. I know some parishes set up uh, a Christmas pageant where the children, anybody who arrives, gets to pick a costume and they reenact the story along with everybody else, whether they know it or not. In our congregation, we talked a lot about how enacting the story, um, you kind of have to know the story to be able to participate in in enacting the story or else you're just focused on when it's your turn to be a shepherd and go up to the front and you don't hear the whole story because you're so excited about being a shepherd. Uh, And so we've changed our focus to be a very um, quiet and intentional telling of the story. The the floor has quilts. The children are invited to come in their jammies. It's really about helping them to hear the story so that they can put put pieces together around this this holiday, especially in families where um, they may have less, um, if they're coming with their grandparents and it's a special event or something, they may not be getting that sort of Advent lead up, right, that's right. happening in my house where we're practicing telling the story. This year, we've also enjoyed watching little YouTube videos of kids telling the story. And one in particular we've enjoyed is kids telling the story and grown-ups enacting the story that the kids so are telling. So vice versa. Yes, a lot of fun and satisfaction in watching that. And then I can hear the kids in their play giggling about some part of the story that somebody, some kid said in a funny way, right? And then I realized, right, look at that. They're internalizing it. They're making meaning uh, themselves of the story. And so it'll be really interesting to see as they get older and the secular Santa narrative starts to change. We'll put that delicately, right? As that starts to change for them, um, what's, what's left for them, hopefully, will be um, an interest uh, and a recollection in that childhood memory of learning. And as you're... One of the challenges of Hanukkah, um, and I, again, 
I want to make sure that listeners understand that I'm only using Hanukkah as an example because they come at a similar time this year. There's no um, in indication or implication that Hanukkah theologically is as important to the Jewish community as Christmas is to the Christian community. Um, one of the challenges of Hanukkah is whether it's true. Um, as many of you who are listening know, the story of the Maccabees is written in the book of Maccabees, both Maccabees 1 and Maccabees 2. And we do have some historical verification external to the book of Maccabees. But neither of the books of Maccabees talk about the miracle story, which seems to have emerged sometime um, 400 years later, um, which raises the question, as always, about um, miracles and truth um, and how we teach our children about religious uh, lore, L-O-R-E, mm-hmm. and its um, impact on our lives. And so I'm wondering, as a parent and as an educator, um, how do you deal with the story of um, Jesus because as you've suggested, the Gospels tell many stories about Jesus' birth. Each of them has their own intentionality, um, as the Gospels are wont to do. Um, and how does that impact on trying to teach a theological truth, which may not have a historical basis? Is that? That's a great question, and I feel like now we're really getting to the heart of the matter, because it's one thing to be offering a counter-narrative to uh, the secular Santa and a, a version of the Christian story, which is of sort of similar depth to right. the Santa story, is pretty surface level, right? And if we want to provide um, children an opportunity, well, all of us an opportunity to actually encounter the story in a way that changes us, then, of course, we have to look at it from that perspective right, as you suggest, a little more deep, deeply theological. What does this mean about uh, our God that we believe in? What does this mean about who we are as human beings? What does this mean about who Jesus uh, is for us now? And I th- think that's more what I'm interested in working with the children on. So because for kids, understanding that idea of the historical, right, and the factual, right. I mean, they love all kinds of facts, right? But I tend to stay away from talking about the Christian story in that context, because there's, uh, there's lots of ways we can dig into that. But the real meaning is not so much in the facts. The real meaning and the counter-narrative of our Christian story is that we can have really powerful and meaningful stories with a lot of depth, without needing necessarily to verify them historically, right? Not that they're not, if the historical information isn't important, it is. But what do stories like that offer us? And what, what does that um, help us to understand about who we are? I think sometimes that's lost to people who don't um, affirm faith, that often um, faith and truth for the um, individual who's struggling or who has already determined that they reject faith um, seem to be at odds with each other. 
but stories that have um, religious truth don't have to have historical truth. Um, and that there are many um, stories which teach us um, powerful um, lessons. We don't ask whether Aesop's fables are historically true, but we share them because there is a truth to them. And we don't ask whether Grimm's fairy tales, not to um, equate um, stories of religious faith with these stories, but they are um, time-honored stories that have survived generations because there's a truth to them. And they can be retold over and over again, and their truths live on. Um, and that seems to be what you're suggesting, that the story of Jesus has a truth to it that all Christian denominations find and that all Christian denominations want to um, have as a counterpoint to what you've called the secular slash Santa narrative, which is the parallel story, right, of mm -hmm. a mythological figure who somehow transforms our lives. Um, in the Santa narrative, it's about our behavior um, and kids run around and maybe parents even uh, collude with them about how to um, ensure the presence, kind of the rebirth every year of this uh, mythical figure. Um, so I want to ask one other question, um, and that is, um, there is this notion of creating um, private space for you and your family uh, versus the busyness that surrounds us, um, however we define busyness, um, TV or shopping or being um, reminded every day that there are only six days left, there are only five days left, there's only a month left, there's only two months left. Um, how do you create personal space? For our faith expression, yeah, in this, in this time. One of the, the things I've alluded to is I start saying no, and I start um, explaining to the children why, right? So uh, I will start saying yes again, <laughs> and right now I'm saying no. And that sometimes and what does we no choose. mean? So no means generally if I'm on the ball for all of the weeks of Advent, the th we are choosing to make more time for our religious practice, both at home and worship uh, in our community, and less time for some of the other things that we like to do on the weekends. As we get closer and closer to Christmas, another thing that I do is I try and really listen to what the children are talking about in terms of their own meaning at Christmas. So I hear a lot of parents say, well, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to do that. I really listen. And, you know, the one thing that, that came up this year is that, you know, one of my children really likes the experience of making cinnamon buns. Well, I've been dutifully making cinnamon buns with not, without being asked for 10 years now. And I was contemplating not doing it this year. Well, it's actually one of the things I will do because it's relational, because the child has remembered, right? Um, I don't need to just make them. Um, I'm doing things around 
more family time and more time together that the children are suggesting, as opposed to busying myself with all of these things that I think everybody expects. Right. Uh, I'm only doing the things that come in relation. So another example would be, uh, you know, I kind of had this sinking feeling I should have a bunch of presents wrapped. But actually, my oldest child wants, wants to help me do that. Right. I don't, need, I don't need to get worked up about them not being done. Imagine if I spent my time with my oldest child doing that work, right? right? That's where there's an opportunity to have a conversation with my oldest child as we're wrapping presents about the, the secular construct of these presents and what does that mean for us as Christians and what is the gift of Christmas? Like, lo and behold, Jesus is the gift. Right. right? Who comes unwrapped. So, so isn't that interesting that we are trying to find this balance in that family and in our family uh, with these two narratives. And I really believe that it isn't about sheltering the children from what's going on in the world, but it's developing through relationship their ability to think critically, right, or question and make meaning for themselves. Um, There are so many other questions to ask, but I want to um, pose the following question to you um, before we're told our time is up. You've spoken a number of times about relationship. Mm -hmm. Do you think there is, either consciously or unconsciously, a notion of uh, transferring the relationships that you build with your kids in a Christian home to the relationship you hope they will have with Jesus? Wow. I experienced this uh, in my own faith journey. I talk, um, part of my work is working with Christian educators. And, you know, the best programs in the world don't necessarily create faithful people. It's experience of faith with faithful people that create faithful people. It's faith in community. So I am a product myself um, of about three or four very significant Christian relationships, foundational relationships, that I know have meant that my um, my faith is something that I treasure and that I carry on this lifelong journey. And if I can impart that with my kids, then I, I know um, that that's the most likely place that they will take on their own faith journey for themselves, especially through the teenage years and young adult years where kids are want to leave things their parents have suggested <laughs> behind. Right. So it's building relations with people who may not be always their parents so that they don't <laughs> have to leave all of those relationships. Um, what a wonderful conversation on Christmas morning. Um, we didn't even have the opportunity to talk about what it's like to raise children um, in cultures where there are other traditions um, and how they might ask questions about those traditions, especially at a year like this when Hanukkah and Christmas um, are in sync. Next year, I don't think they will be, so it'll be a different question. Um, I want to thank you for joining me this morning. I want to tell you how much a pleasure it was to chat with you. Um, This is really a challenging time for all of us who believe that there is power in faith. 
and there is power in building relationships um, that are uh, transformative with regard to faith. And whether we're professionals or we're parents um, or we're grandparents or whatever our dynamic in life is, um, it's through our um, personal touchstones to our faith that we are more successful uh, communicating that to um, next generations. Um, for Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing those of you who are listening this morning Merry Christmas, and to those who might hear us on the podcast, we hope that you had a Merry Christmas or a Happy Hanukkah. Good morning and Shalom. <laughs>